you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Psalms, 131st Psalm. Bear with me this evening. My, uh, I'm, I'm going to attempt not to raise my voice at all. <laughs> attempt. The um, Lord willing, we're going to try to make it through this entire psalm this evening. It's only three verses. <laughs> the 131st Psalm here. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forevermore. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open your word this evening, Lord, my heart is drawn to a, a psalm that is much different than many of the other psalms, much smaller than the other psalms, yet you've sought throughout history to preserve it in your word, Lord. May we glean from your word what you have for us in it this evening. We give thanks to you, Lord, for having these freedoms and rights to gather here, Lord. May we take advantage of them this evening. I give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. It was said that two, two monks were discussing humility. And one monk said to the other, I've been praying and fasting and meditating and studying religion for the last 20 years. I believe that I have finally reached the level of humility. I am truly a nothing, said the one monk. The other monk nodded gravely. I too have spent much of my life devoted to serving God. I am also nothing. At that moment, a janitor passed by with a mop in his hand, overhearing the conversation between the two monks and feeling quite spiritual himself. He interrupted them and said, you know what? I am also nothing. The monks looked at each other in disgust, one commenting to the other, who does he, who does he think he is to think that he is nothing? You guys missed it. I thought that was hilarious. Apparently, God gave me that laugh earlier because he knew you wasn't going to. <laughs> Andrew Murray once said that humility is that great grace that once you have it, you, once you know you have it, you've already lost it. This psalm here is a, a short psalm. It's a psalm from David's early days. It shows his heart for humility. It shows his lack of pride. It really shows his overall trust in God. I think that we would say in our own minds as we process through this thought of humility, even in this very first sentence here, Lord, my heart is not haughty. With our own reasoning today, if we was to walk around and saying, I'm not haughty at all. I I'm not prideful at all. Matter of fact, I'm one of the most humble people I know. 
in our minds, these statements would automatically make us believe that the person saying them is prideful. Yet we see here with David's own lips, with David's own testimony, his heart is saying that he is indeed humble. My heart is not haughty. In searching of this psalm, I think there was two things that are quickly to notice about David's statement. Indeed, David is not prideful at all. When he writes this psalm, it is from the heart of humility. We see right above here, it is a song of degrees of David. Notice it does not say, as we've seen in the other psalms, to the chief musician. This was not written so that all the people of Israel could sing a song and praise David for how humble he was. That's not this at all. Matter of fact, it was said that this psalm wasn't even written for publishment. David didn't give this forward to the recorders. This ended up making it onto the record because Hezekiah found this writing of David and passed it forward to be recorded. David says, my Lord, my heart is not haughty. My heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. We understand this with our own minds that the number one enemy to spiritual growth is that of pride. Uh, pride is this thought process that we have dependence upon ourselves, but humility is this sign that we are ready to be used by God. I think we oftentimes, when we speak of humility, we, we take humility and proclaim it that that means to be humble. And, and it indeed does, but it's more. We look at ourselves and say, hey, we are humble. And the reason we classify ourselves as humble is because we're not arrogant or because we're not self-absorbed or because we don't view ourselves as narcissistic or we don't view ourselves as prideful. And in truth, you know, these are all true antonyms to this word humble. They are the exact opposite. But just because you're not those things, it doesn't exactly mean that we are humble. David said here, not only is his heart humble, but his eyes are not lofty. And he said, I don't even insert myself in things that are too high for me. In reading, C.S. Lewis was once asked to explain his outlook on what it means to be humble. He said, to be humble means that you stop pretending that you don't have the abilities that you do have and that everyone else knows that you do have. He says that true humility is, for instance, that you have the ability to build one of the most absolute, magnificent cathedrals in all the world. But you would also be just as happy if someone else were to have all those abilities and to build the most absolute, beautiful cathedral in all the world. This is humility in of itself. We acknowledge that God has given each and every one of us gifts. And we, we recognize that God has given each and every one of us abilities. Abilities to do work for him. But 
this moment of being in service for God is to have joy to be used and yet to have the same joy when God uses other people. David says that his heart was humble. My Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. You, David, you just, <clears throat> you just slew Goliath. This is when they kind of believed that this psalm was written by David right after the Goliath had been slain. David has slain Goliath. The people are walking around. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. People are telling David, David, you know that God has anointed you to be king. David, you should be king. David, lift up your eyes to the throne. You know that God has given you the throne. That throne actually belongs to you. You know this throne is yours, David. Look look up there. You, you know you're the one anointed to be king. And David does not say that he has not heard the chants of the people, but his heart resides to not be lifted up by all of this. He said, my heart is not haughty. And David was not moved by the chants of the people. Matter of fact, as you read through First and Second Samuel, you'll find David continuously says that he cannot put forth his hand against the Lord's anointed. David was of certainty that he was not called to be the one to remove Saul from the throne. He was not the one called to remove Saul from his kingship. He believed, even in this moment where he knew that God had anointed him and was going to use him for this cause, he did not try to take action himself and insert himself into this position. All of this did not go to his head, even in slaying Goliath. David said, my heart is, it's not haughty, Lord. I'm still humble. I don't even know why you have even used me to slay Goliath. I'm not even certain why you've even chosen me to be king. I am still humbled by your using me in my life. The world today, well, the world today says with its worldly um, desires that we should use every opportunity to get ahead. The world says if you have the opportunity to undercut your boss, then do it. The world chants that if you really want your kid to get ahead, then you must put your child in sports at a young age so that he can get ahead in this world. Uh, the world chants that if you really want, um, which was pushed on us when our kids were, if you really want your kids to get ahead, you need to get them into 4-H so that they can, you know, have a foothold so that they can make connections so that they can get to know people. I mean, do you really think that your kids are going to be successful and have all these connections living and growing up in this little Christian school? This is what the world preaches in their doctrine. Listen, it will only cost you some church services. But hey, I mean, you don't really believe that God would want your daughter or God would want your son to grow up and be a dud. And all the while the world is pushing its way to get ahead, God is still operating in his 
own methods of educating and preparing men for the next generation. I mean, the very fact that we're reading a psalm by a shepherd who was the son of an insignificant farmer who God called in from the backside of the shepherding field, so to say, and brought into the home and anointed him. And this little ruddy boy God would use to slay a giant. And Israel knew nothing about him. Saul even had the question, who is this man who's willing to fight Goliath? Yet in this time, God was building a confidence inside of David when he slew the bear. And yet when he slew the lion, God was building a confidence inside of David that it is okay to trust your God. Yet, the world says, seize every opportunity to be exalted. Seize every opportunity to be lifted up. It's okay to be lifted up. We need to learn to be somebody in this land. And what David says is, I have been absolutely satisfied by not living in this haughty spirit, by not promoting myself, by not keeping my eyes even on things that have been promised to me, meaning the throne, but by trusting God. My heart is not haughty in this way. We can even see Moses learn this or not. I mean, we can look in the Old Testament, really, in the New Testament, and see many people alike in this matter. Moses learned this, right? Forty years he grew up in man's school. Forty years Moses grew up educated by the esteemed teachers in the land. They said Moses is going to make it because Moses has the esteemed teaching. He's going to be somebody in the land. He's going to be somebody great. And what did Moses turn out to be? A murderer. But then what do we find of Moses that he would end up being 40 years on the backside of the desert, educated in a deep theological study. The course was called How God Handles His Problems. There Moses would graduate and be this mighty deliverer for God's people. It wasn't the 40 years that the world gave him. It wasn't the 40 years in Pharaoh's house. It wasn't the 40 years in the education of the land. It was the 40 years that he spent with God. The world still says today, exalt yourself so that you can be known. And yet God is saying, trust me that I will take care of you. I can remember when I, when I first made it into the Boilers Makers Union. I mean, you had to lube my ears to get in the door. Everybody I met, I tried to find a way to tell them that I was a Boilermaker. You could be talking about steaming vegetables, and I would make a straight line that I worked on boilers, and that's how they steam vegetables. You know... But the truth be known, I had kind of, you know, lifted myself up. The only thing I was was a highly classified garbage can scrubber, roof mopper who paid union dues. But I got tired of that. So one day the, the head of engineering came over and had a task for this guy, Todd. 
Well, he didn't really know who I was, but I really kind of wanted to impress impress him that I was really coming along. And when he came in and he laid out this job, I said, we'll do it. We'll take care of it. No worries. And the engineer walked out the door. This guy, Todd Long, turned around and said, what are you talking about? We'll do it. We can't even do this. It's an almost impossible job. Well, I hung my head that day because he made me go back over and tell the engineer that I had misspoke. David says here, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes are lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things that are too high for me. I was meddling in things that was far over my head. And it tasted terrible when I had to face it. And David said, these things, you know, the fact that God has anointed me to be king, when I'm going to be king, these things are far over my head. I'm not meddling in it. I'm not going to set Saul up to face a failure. I'm not going to take and exercise my opportunity when he found Saul in the cave. He didn't exercise his opportunity to kill Saul. He said, these things are too high for me. I'm not meddling in it. I know what God said. I know what God's promises are to me. And those promises to me from God are good enough that I don't have to act upon those with my own hands. I will trust God that he will do his work. I could almost hear David's heart. I know I'm supposed to be king because the Lord anointed me, but I never meddled. Lest I make a disaster of a situation, it is just too high for me. I will leave it in his hands. The sign of humility here is that we learn to leave situations in God's hands. That is the basis of this really short psalm. You can say, even in uh, my Bible here, the header for this psalm is the humble heart. And it's true. But I think there's another basis for it too. And it is a psalmist who had learned to just trust God. It was all about trust. He trusted him that he was still sovereignly going to work. This, he, he knew that this position that he was in, this simple shepherd, unheard to many, who would be catapulted, so to say, into stardom in Israel. And it was said of David in those days that he had behaved himself wisely. When you go through Samuel and when you see about Saul time after time, David behaved himself wisely. Why did David behave himself wisely? Because he knew the thing that was set forth for him in his life, that the one who set it forth was still in control. He kept himself in a place where he refused to meddle in politics in the palace. He kept clear of the matters that was not his concern. He trusted God and his trust in God crucified his pride regardless of what Saul said. Do you know that even in our own lives today that there is no conceivable situation in which you will go through in your life where it is not okay to trust God. There's not one. As a matter of fact, in everything in life, we are challenged to trust God. 
Corey Tin Boone said this, that um, never fear trusting an unknown future to a known God. So this makes sense to us, does it not? Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes are lofty. The psalmist is painting it clear. You can, you can never trust God looking to yourself. Haughty eyes come from a prideful heart. It is said that when our eyes are not humble, we begin to develop the worst eye disease of all mankind. The one that says, I, I, I. When our eyes are lifted up, this is where we believe that we need to be. Same for Satan's problem, right? His eyes were lifted up and said, I will be lifted up. I will ascend to the most high. I, I, I. It is the same disease that he had. Notice also in verse 2, he was humble in his speech. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. David said, I have not spent my time telling God what he needs to do for me. I have not spent time advising God how he needs to handle my situation. He says, I have quieted myself. We should never be attempting to give God the solution for our problems. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Psalm 62, 1, that truly my soul waiteth upon God from him cometh my salvation. Psalms 46.10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. And this is what we must do. We, we need to learn to be still. We need to learn to be silent. We need to learn to wait upon the Lord. And that is what he's giving us here, even in this illustration in verse 2. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. Well, how does this mean this for us? What is David putting forth? Whenever a child is weaned, what is that? It is a sign of growth. It is a sign of maturity. The Several commentators even went on to add that you know, Hebrew children, they weren't even weaned until they were three or four. Um, this, but it was a sign that when this came to an end, that infancy was over. That they had now learned what it meant to be separated. They had learned to enter into this state of maturity. Now they're going to be away from their mom. Now they're going to enter into school. Now they're in this place where they understand that there's gains and losses and life's not all about their way. David said, here, surely I have behaved myself, uh, behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. David says, I am no infant when it learns to, when it comes to being quiet. I've learned when it's time just to be silent. I, I, am, I have entered into the state of maturity that I have realized that I should not respond to everything that I hear. I have entered into a state of understanding where I understand that I'm not supposed to cry when I don't get my way. I have been weaned. 
Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13 and 14 states that this is God's desire even for our Christian lives today. That we will no longer be babes. That we will no longer live as infants. In Ephesians 4 and 13 and 14 it says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Sometimes God weans us from good things. Sometimes God weans us from bad things, but God always weans us for his good. Right? Abraham. Abraham was called and he was called to not only leave his family but he was called to leave his city in the Ur of Chaldees. Uh, Abraham would go on to face another hard situation where he would be called and God would give the go ahead to even send Ishmael away. Even more, Abraham would be weaned away from his nephew Lot. Abraham would be brought to this place where he had to come to the realization that God may be separating him even from his own son Isaac when he placed him upon the altar. Joseph, in order for God to get Joseph to where he needed to be, Joseph had to be weaned from his father. He had to be weaned from his brothers. He had to be weaned from his hometown. He had to be sold off, entered into slavery, lied upon all so that God's dreams that, or David's, or Joseph's dreams that God gave him would come true. But there was painful weanings there. There was painful separation. I mean, do we not even see this in the New Testament? Peter had to learn when it came to the casting of a net to trust God. He had to get away from his own self-sufficiency. Don't you know, Lord, we've cast the nets all night? This isn't about you. He had to learn about to move away from his own self-sufficiency when it came to defending himself when he reached for the sword and had to learn to live by faith. He had to learn to trust God. But our faith that we have in this learning to trust God can often be brought upon us by experiencing these moments of being weaned away. I tell you, my speech that day in the boiler room learned, I learned a valuable lesson to wean away, wean myself away from my pride and not speak so fast. There's nothing like misspeaking. There's nothing like saying something wrong. There's nothing like letting go of our terrible attitude for God to humble us and in, in, in even in our own lives because of our pride we feel humiliated and God begins to show us those things to wean us away from things that we don't even need in our own life. Look at this last verse here. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. This is the final turning point. He turns his attention from himself 
to the nation of Israel. David's hope has always been the Lord. But now David's desire is that not only will his hope continue to be the Lord. Matter of fact, I even take it further back as they chanted about David. Even when David came down with this food and seen this uncircumcised Philistine, he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistines that they that he would challenge what the army of God? David comes to the close in this short psalm and his humility to say that I don't want Israel to say that David or Saul is slain as thousands and David is ten thousands. I want Israel to arrive at the place where they recognize their hope is in the Lord now and forever. I love the fact that David wasn't the one who put this in the official recorder and that Hezekiah was. I love it. The reason is, of course, we don't know this for sure, but my mind always wonders when you read things like this is that, you know, when Hezekiah found this writing of David in his early life, I wonder if it was close to the time where Sennacherib was going to be setting up outside. And David and Hezekiah would read the last part of this that our hope should be in the Lord now and forevermore. Was it one of these things that God allowed Hezekiah to find this psalm to encourage him in the heat of battle when Sennacherib says, all will die, (laughs) to remind Hezekiah, hey, your hope is in the Lord. All of Israel's hope is in the Lord. God once delivered Israel before from the Philistines, from Goliath. Why? How? Because there was a people whose hope was in the Lord. And as we know, the story goes, Hezekiah went down there and laid laid down the letter before the Lord and recognized when they woke up the next morning and 250,000 were dead and Sennacherib was hightailing it back home to Assyria. What did he find out? That it is true. We are not called to engage in arguments of pride. God will do our bidding. We're not called to get in engagements of ego. God will do our bidding. God has set us forth to do a task for him. And if we'll stay humble, this is wonderful news. No matter what anybody says about us, we will end up in the exact place God has for us. It didn't matter what Saul said about David. It didn't matter about what the armies did as they tried to seek and kill David. It didn't matter what was spread throughout the lands. It didn't matter anything that Saul did. David still became king. It didn't matter that David tried to, they tried to slander David's name. David ended up becoming the king that is loved, mightily used by God for the nation of Israel. So what is the, Take away from Psalms 131, it is simple. Be humble and trust God. Great victories come from the heart of humility. Great victories come from the heart of trust. Great things come from the, even the things in life that we don't want to experience. God brings about great things. And as he weans us from the things that we find comfort in, like a child to his mother, as he weans us from the things that we find comfort in, maybe in our 
job, maybe in our experience, maybe in our vehicles, maybe in our home, as he moves us in our lives, it's to bring us to a place that he can have us more relied upon him. And in this moment of weaning, and in this moment of moving away, David said, I wasn't prideful in my speech. I wasn't prideful in my eyes. I wasn't prideful in my heart. I had learned to be quiet and just touch, trust God. And when I learned to be quiet and I learned to trust God, it brought about this grand reality that the only hope we have is in the Lord. Because while the nation of Israel feared Goliath, God used nobody, a nobody in the land to bring down a mighty giant. So what is this? Trust the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. But in the same breath, the, what is it? Three different times in the Bible, once in Proverbs, I think another time in Peter, and another time in James. God, what? Resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You want to be used by God? Don't lift yourself up. You want to be used by God? Don't exalt yourself. You want to be used by God? Do not worry about what other people say about you. Worry about how you are viewed in God's eyes. All right, let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your word, Lord. We um, praise you and magnify your name, Lord. We know that we are here, and many of us, our fleshes are weak, Lord, but I pray that you'll strengthen us, Lord. Strengthen those who are out sick, Lord, and those who are still on the mend, and even me, Lord. We praise you and lift you up for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.